for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. two sporting teams that have something that a lot of teams don't have. I don't like them. It's going to hurt to talk about them, but we're going to do it anyway. The first team is this one. Not that one. The next, that's the team. So Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide Football Club. Mixed emotions. People are going to love it. People are going to hate it. Most people hate it. But what they do, you have a look at that crowd of people there. They turn up every week, regardless of what's happened to the team the week before, and they stand up like that, they reckon in excess song, they sing Never Tear Us Apart, and they stand there together, one, unified. They have this passion, this belief that anything that happened last week doesn't count because this week something better is going to happen. They believe without doubt that their team can win. It's an amazing thing. It's almost... It's almost... Uh, well, it's definitely seconding, but... <laughs> It's incredible to think they can have the worst season. Next season is going to be better. They're going to win the flag. In fact, they, uh, the CEO came out about a month ago with their five-year vision, and their vision is to win five flags. Sorry, three flags in the next five years. That's that's a tough thing to do, right? Not many clubs do that at all. But they're going to do it three and five. Now, when you consider in the last six years they've won two, they've played in two final games and only won one. But now they're going to win three grand finals in the next five. It's an unbelievable expectation that their team will win. And I love that about them. I don't like them, but I love that about them. They have this incredible passion to win. Unbelievable. The other team is that one, Liverpool Football Club. Same thing. I think Port copied their idea of the flags, but the same thing. They, they have this belief that every week they turn up, their team's going to win. They have only won one premiership championship in the last 30 years. But year in, year out, they believe their team's going to win. Now, I'm looking at the Tripodes at the back. They're saying that's better than Southampton. But the reality is, mate, if you didn't steal all our players, we would have had a better record than yours, and you know that. But Liverpool are the same, a team with great tradition and believe every week, week in, week out, when they rock up, something's going to happen. Something's going to change. They expect, and it's an incredible gift to have. When you have high expectations, it leads to a faith-filled life. When you have high expectations and trust completely in God, there's absolutely nothing he can't do through you with him. Matthew 8, 5, 13 is a great story of someone with incredible faith. It's It's a story of the centurion. Jesus had just healed a leper, laid hands on him, healed instantly. And Matthew 5 tells a story of centurion. It says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralysed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man of authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He marvelled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go and let it be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. What an amazing story of someone who had an expectation that something would happen, and it did. He, he didn't doubt for a second. Now, here's a guy who would have been very respected. He's a centurion, would have walked around with his armour on, be quite a threatening sort of bloke. He didn't like Jews. Jews didn't like him. He's a man of power, but he's obviously a man of great humility because he was able to come to a Jew and ask for this favour, and he knew that he wasn't worthy to have Jesus in his house. And the thing about this that I love is that expectation that centurion had, it turned Jesus' head. We need that expectation today. We need an expectation that God can do all things and it's going to turn God's head towards us. It's going to turn God's heart towards our needs. We need to have that kind of faith, that kind of expectation in Jesus that is going to grab God's attention. But do we have that confidence? Do we really expect God to show up? When we come here on a Sunday... Do we expect God to show up? What happens when expectations dry up? Recently, some friends of mine and I went on a fishing trip. We go 900 kilometres from here to a place called Fowler's Bay on the Nullarbor. It's a very long trip. And every time we go, we catch big fish. We love catching fish. It's awesome. We go. And uh, this time, it was going to be no different. You know, we're that confident we're going to catch fish. We don't even take bait. Because we know we're going to catch the... No, this is true. We're going to catch the smaller fish that are going to catch the bigger fish we want. We're that confident. So this trip was no different. We packed our cars with everything you need and more. Set off at a reasonable 4am in the morning and got out on the road. We, the, the trip's like any other, right? So we'll just sit there and we'll talk about what we're going to do, what beaches we're going to hit, what we're going to attack... It's, it's no different. We knew that we were going to catch something big. You know, when you get to Fowler's Bay, the excitement is palpable. Have a look. I mean, why wouldn't you be excited about rocking up there? That is incredible. We get there, it's, it's palpable. You can feel it. You can smell it. You can taste it. It's such a beautiful town. It's just lovely. There's sand dunes everywhere. So as we got there, we knew we weren't going to miss out. We'd had 20 years' experience going to this spot and catching fish, and I've got to have to move my microphone. That's not a fisherman's story. Pete, we catch fish that big, don't we? Pete, once, all right. <laughs> don't wreck the story. <laughs> so as we got there, we did what we normally do, threw all our gear out of our car really quickly, threw it into the cabin, grab our salmon rods, we head down to Scotts Bay, which is just over the sand dunes, and we look for things like that. See that black circle in front of that guy? That guy is actually Molesey, I think. Uh, that's a school of salmon. So we look for that and we, you throw into your fish and, and you catch fish. And, and they look, they're as big as your head, right? And we catch these fish, it's very exciting and we're all happy. That was a few years ago, I was a bit younger then. But there you go, we catch, this is, so this is proof, right? Every time we go, we catch these massive salmon, it's fantastic. So we're all super excited, went down on the beach, first afternoon, drove up and down this seven kilometre beach, not one school of fish. We thought, okay, that's all right. Tides are probably wrong. We'll just come back tomorrow morning. So we packed up our rods, went back. We, we tried in a few little spots where we knew we caught them, nothing. So went back to the cabin that night, had a bit of a chat about it, got excited. Tomorrow's going to be a new day. The tides are going to be out. The sun's going to be shining. Birds are going to be chirping in the sky. It's going to be fantastic. 
Off we went down day two. Nothing. Not a thing. We did catch some little whiting and tommies, which we're disgusted with. I mean, it's great if you go to Semaphore and catch some of them, but no, you don't drive 900 k's to catch tommies this big. But we thought, well, they'll do for bait, so we'll keep them. We were starting to get nervous. We made a point of keeping everything. On the fourth day, we said, it's going to be okay, guys. We're going to go to Nantaby. Now, Nantaby is this beach. Now, if you know anything about fishing, it's this massive deep gutter, and there's fish in there all the time. It's like, you just see them. They're just there. Sometimes they come out on the water for you and wave at you and go back in. It is an amazing place. So there we sat up, our rods, put them in all day. Not a great... Oh, we, could, we caught a skate. A skate is like the most worthless fish in the world. But we caught a skate. So it was getting very, 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 very hard. By the fifth day, I kid you not, I'd lost all expectations, right? We went to a place called Cheatham Beach. Always catch fish there. Went there. Two of the guys got out of the boat, out of the car, walked down the beach. One walked about 10 k's down the beach. I sat in my chair. I didn't even bother getting my rod out, and I read my Bible. It wasn't for inspiration. It was just that I had lost any hope, any expectation that we were going to catch one fish. Worse than that was Pete sat behind me. He was asleep. He didn't get his rod out either. He fell asleep. I thought, why would I even bother trying when I know I'm not going to get anything? Why would I set up my rod? Why would I set up my reel, my tackle, get the bait on it, throw it into the water, sit there in the sun and wait to catch nothing? So I didn't bother. We had lost all hope of catching the fish. When we went home a day early, we were that gutted by this fishing trip. Yep, we caught some Tommies and Whiting, but it wasn't what we wanted. We were so dejected. In fact, I asked all the guys who were on that trip whether they wanted to go again in February. And not one of them has given me a definitive answer that they want to go. We've had one bad fishing trip and it's completely destroyed our expectation of fishing. It's a battle. It's a terrible place to find yourself dry and hopeless with no expectations, but more of the same. We try to manufacture things in our life to fill that void, to fill that expectation. We try to put things into our life to bring more, but it doesn't really bring us joy and purpose. And it's a battle. And at the end of the day, as Jody said, we're tired. We're tired of chasing the thing that will satisfy and stop wither and dry. I firmly believe this morning that the majority of us that walk through a door on a Sunday expect nothing more than they did the week before. And that's a terrible place to be. From one week to the next, nothing's going to change. I can stand here and confess to you, as your pastor... There's some Sunday mornings I don't expect anything when I come in the door. I expect to do tasks. I expect to do jobs. I expect to make sure the toilet's clean. I expect to make sure that the coffee machine's working. I expect to make people feel welcome, but I don't sometimes expect to walk into the presence of God. How many of us are in that place today? How many people on a Sunday come to church because it's something we do? It's a ritual. It's just what we do on a Sunday morning. How many of us come because we've done the gardening People stay at home because they've got things to do. They put church and God second, and it's a terrible place to be. We need to come back to our first love. We need to throw off complacency and familiarity and seek to find him who sets us free. Him who can do far more than we ever thought possible. Him who heals the sick. He sets the captive free. He breaks addiction. This is the God we come to on a Sunday, and we walk in the door and do this, kick our feet. The God that we serve, the God that we love, created everything that we see. Everything for us because he loves us. And we do nothing. We do it because it suits us, because it fits into our lifestyle. It's got to change.
We are in desperate need of revival. The community around us is in desperate need of revival. You don't have to look too far to see people who have lost joy, peace and hope in their lives. Go stick your head outside those doors and see what's going on. We are dry and we need to come back to our first love. And we need God to breathe in us, to revive us. That song is unbelievable. Ezekiel 37, 1-12 is a bit of reading, but it's, it's a story we need to read. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me among them. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. They were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will cause the flesh to come upon you, and cover you with your skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, uh, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and, I com- and as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, sorry. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. What an incredible scripture, what an incredible picture that Ezekiel was walking with God and and he sees this valley of all these bones and God says, talk to them, tell them. I'm going to breathe life back into them. The thing I notice about this scripture is God hasn't changed. I say it pretty much every week, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He hasn't changed. He wanted to breathe life into his people in Israel. He wants to breathe life into his people here today in this church. God has not changed. He wants to put breath in our dry bones, into our complacency. God wants to ignite us and set us on fire. He has not changed. He says, breathe, and he will breathe into us. We all want to see a revival, but are we prepared to do what's required? I recently asked someone, how do you eat an egg without cracking the shell? Anybody know? You get somebody else to crack it for you. It's pretty obvious. It's not a joke. There you go. You get somebody else to crack it for you. And this is the problem I think we face. We want the good stuff, don't we? We want what's inside the egg. But are we prepared to do the work? Are we prepared to set time apart, to crack the egg ourselves and go for that good stuff. We'd much prefer to see somebody else do it for us. We all want revival. We all want to see things change. We want to see God move like never before. We want to see our family members healed, restored and set free. But we want somebody else to do it for us and we'll join in. You know, if you want to, if you want to need an egg, you've got to break the shell. If you want to see revival, you've got to break some bad habits. We need to break bad habits here today. 
We are in desperate need for the church to stand up in a world where wrong is right, uh, where sin is good, where legislators are destroying families. We need the world to stand up and be accountable. We need the church to stand up and be counted, cry out and trust God can do far more than we ever expected. Seriously, do we believe it today? When we see all these things that are going on, do we actually believe that God can do something? We need to open our hearts and believe like never before. People are given up on church and ultimately God because they don't think we're relevant. They think we're boring. Goodness me, the God of this world is not boring. We've forgotten that the source of all life and all joy and all peace comes from the Father. We need to start remembering that. Now, I know there are people here today who say, you know, I've done too much wrong in my life. I'm too old, it's passed me by. I'm too young. What can I do? What can I do? I don't have enough influence to change anything. But Ezekiel 34, 37 verse 4 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. It's not our job. It's God's job. But he asks us to do stuff first. We've got to move. We've got to step out and do something. Ezekiel had to prophesy over these bones. He didn't just say, God's going to do it and walk off. He prophesied. He walked around them. We have to put legs on our faith. We need to get moving. We need to do something. And God will do it. It's not our job to do it. God will take care of it. It's the Holy Spirit's job. When we see all the horrors that are happening in the world today, where you see a father... Grabs his daughter and jumps off a bridge, kills himself. Where you see people killed for the colour of their skin, and when you see people so concerned with me that they couldn't care less about another person, we need Jesus. It's no wonder we ask God, How can we do this with our feeble arms? The point I want you to hear today is it's not about our arms. Our arms are never meant to take us into battle, it's our knees and our hearts. We need to get on our knees. If we want to fight this fight, we don't do it by our strength. We do it by his strength. We get on our knees and we pray to God and we believe and we have it in our heart. We need revival. When I think of revival, I think of Billy Graham, a man of such incredible faith, a man who just spent all his time in the word and praying to God. We need that guy, we, I think of Jungi Cho and I think of Reinhard Bonnke who used to preach in front of millions of people. We need revival again. The thing is, every revival starts with one person. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with you. Revival starts here in our heart. And if we don't do that, revival won't happen. We need you to tell one person. And that person is going to tell another person who will tell their neighbourhood. And that neighbourhood will tell the next neighbourhood. It's an ongoing effect. Revival starts with you. Revival starts with your neighbour. And they'll keep going. We need to be telling people. It'd be easy to look at revivals in the past and focus on the figureheads and what incredible people they must have been. It'd be easier to think that since we're not powerful men like Billy Graham, we can't start to believe for revival. And it'd be easy to despair that revival is never going to, do, going to come to our country. But the amazing thing about revival is when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, at the end of the story, he said, go and do likewise. In Matthew, he says, to shine your light before men so that they will see the glory of God. And it must have been important to him because the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was go and make disciples. If we want to see revival, we have to do something. 
It starts with one person. It starts with me and you. Are you ready to have God's breath put back into your dry bones? I am. I'm desperate for it. I want nothing more. It's all I think about now. I want to see God move like never before. I remember in the 90s, you used to come to every service, you used to be a part of everything because you knew God was going to come and you knew God was going to do something amazing. And we need to get back to that. We need to get back to our first love. We need to tell the person next to us. We need to get back to that first love. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved, when you became a Christian? It was unexplainable, that love. You know, you just, it was remarkable. You wanted to tell everybody about it. It's all you wanted to talk about. So I want to ask you, do you want it? Do you want to see it happen again? Yeah. We're going to sing that song again, Rattle, about dry bones. I believe it's, it's, it's absolutely God-based. Since I heard this song, it's, it's all I've thought about. is being revived in this church, needing revival. We need to stand up and we need to be the church for God. We need to be the church in this community. We need to believe that God's going to do far more. There are people here that are sick, really sick. There are people here whose family members need to come to Christ. There are people here who have addictions, who need setting free. And it only comes by Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it just by coming into this building. This building doesn't hold the power. We do. Jesus is in us. He's given us life. And that life is for abundance. But do we believe it this morning? been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.